When someone has done you wrong, when you've been cheated by someone, you want them to get their due. You want them to get what's coming to them. But if they get away without having to pay for what they've done, how do you feel? Does that just eat you up? Does it make you upset, even a little angry that they escaped justice? Sixteen years ago, we watched one of the most infamous cases in our country of someone who didn't have to pay for their crimes. Do you know who I'm talking about? I'll tell you who it is coming up next. Helping you grow deeper on your spiritual journey. Welcome to The Inner Life with Josh Raymond. Hello and welcome to a new week. Glad to have you here for this hour of The Inner Life. So what do you remember from the late fall of 2001? The world had just witnessed the collapse of the Twin Towers on September 11th, of course. A little less than a month later, the war in Afghanistan began. We all experienced the change in security procedures at airports in those next months. That same year, that was also the year that gave us the first movie in two very popular franchises. The One of them was uh, Harry Potter. The first Harry Potter movie was released. And then the first Lord of the Rings movie was released that year as well. This was also the NFL season, 2001, that would see Tom Brady come off the bench as a backup quarterback and eventually lead to him winning his very first Super Bowl, starting that streak for him and the New England Patriots. So this was the world we were living in when there was news that came out of an energy company based in Houston called Enron, This company, they had just filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection. This was on December 2nd. At the time, Enron's bankruptcy was the largest corporate bankruptcy in American history. 20,000 employees lost their jobs, and they lost a collective $1.2 billion in retirement funds. Many of those people lost their entire life savings. Investors, of course, they lost billions. In total, there were 21 people across various firms that were convicted in the scandal, and probably the most famous name associated with Enron was Kenneth Lay. Ken Lay. He was the CEO of Enron, and over the next five years, he was pretty constantly in the news, being the face of conspiracy and fraud in our country. Ultimately, Ken Lay, he was found guilty of 10 different counts of securities frauds. Uh, The guilty verdict came in late May of 2006, and his sentencing was scheduled to take place about five months later, in October of that year. With all of his convictions, he could have faced a total sentence of up to 45 years in prison, 45 years, but he never spent any time in prison. He was never sentenced. Ken Lay... He was vacationing in his house near Aspen, Colorado that July, three months before he was supposed to go to his sentencing hearing, and he suffered a heart attack and he died. Now, you might think that dying is the ultimate justice for someone who essentially robbed tens of thousands of people. On the other hand, you might feel like he got away with it pretty freely. He should have done time in prison. He made his millions, he lived the good life, and he never had to face the consequences of his actions. He never received the justice that he deserved. But looking at the other side of justice, today we commemorate a man whose life was tragically cut short. Someone who was working as one of the most prominent civil rights leaders of his time until he was assassinated. 
And of course, he didn't deserve to die. Martin Luther King Jr. was on that other side of justice. He was trying to do what was right. But he suffered, and he ultimately died because of his efforts. In ancient Roman art, there is this vision, this personification of justice standing as a lady. She typically is shown holding scales in one hand and a sword in the other hand, and she's blindfolded. Blindfolded because justice is supposed to be blind. The scales are to depict equality in justice, and the sword means that justice can be swift and final. But when it comes to our faith, well, we also talk about justice. Justice is one of the four cardinal virtues. So what does it mean for us to live out justice in our lives? Even if we never enter a courtroom, if we never stand before a judge or a jury, what does justice look like in the life of a Christian? Well, this is what we want to talk about today on The Inner Life. And I'm very glad to welcome back to the program Father Sam Martin. He is our spiritual director for the hour. Father Martin is a priest in the Diocese of La Crosse, Wisconsin, the pastor of Holy Name of Jesus Parish in Wausau, Wisconsin. Father, welcome back to The Inner Life. Glad to be able to talk with you again. Oh, it's good to be with you uh, on a Monday, and like you point out, the anniversary, you know, so it's a... this holiday we celebrate Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and all the things that uh, he stood for and justice. That's a uh, <laughs> it should be a fairly exciting hour here because it's something that most human beings feel fairly passionate about. Kind of visceral reaction. It seems like what even some of the things you were saying. I didn't lose my life savings, but I bet that still chafes some people. Oh yeah, that stuff. Like oh my gosh. Uh, so anyway, a great <laughs> intro to the show, Josh. Wow. Yeah. Well, and you know, I I didn't experience anything losing money with Enron, but I did experience that squeeze that we all felt. Oh, about seven years later, when there was you know the banks that are too big to fail, the housing bubble, all of that that happened, and I remember being really upset at the time, and then. You know, okay, we move on, we get past it, and then I don't know, maybe a few years ago, I watched this movie called The Big Short, mm. and all of that anger and frustration, you know, that that people were hurt, that people had lost so much, and there was all of this fraudulent behavior and activity that was happening. Oh, it just brought it all back, and I said, I can, I can never watch that movie again because it just riles that up inside of me. So yeah, I think you're exactly right. And especially when we look at somebody else, Father, that's where I think we want justice. We don't necessarily want justice when it comes to ourselves, though. You know, we, we're, we're much more inclined to say, I... I I want things to be a little more merciful. I have special circumstances, or there's a reason why I should not face exact justice for my behavior. So as we're looking today at justice, where do we start to understand what true justice is? Well, there could be many places. I mean, this is uh, as old as the world. And, you know, we have a, I think the law that God wrote on our hearts is there, of course, in the time of original innocence, and now ever since the time of original sin, that we feel violations, we can kind of intuit them, we sense them, that it's not fair, and then we get upset, and we uh, sometimes can complain, and we pout, and uh, those are not always, you know, completely disordered responses, even so they do need spiritual maturity. So I think you look at the Psalms, I mean, 
largely written by King David, but there's a constant theme. And so the church has prayed these psalms, the priests and religious and now the whole church invited to pray these psalms for centuries. And it's a it's the human family wondering about God. Are you, do you see what's happening? Are you going to right these wrongs? Are you going to put people in their place? And that's a, something that bothers us. And Pope Benedict, in his, one of his encyclicals, um, it was probably a space salve on hope and hope we are saved that, uh, you know, that whatever God's justice is, I mean, it has to be, of course, tempered by mercy, but mercy can't be a sponge that whatever we do here doesn't matter in the next life so that, you know, the criminals just sit by those who they vilified, that they compromised as if it didn't matter, it didn't happen, and, and so all is well. Uh, we have to have a God who somehow reconciles his justice with his mercy so that the people that have done evil things uh, in some way have to pay for that. There has to be uh, come up into, you know, a consequence to that. And at the same time, we we don't want people necessarily to be destroyed forever. I mean, we vacillate between extremes. Virtue is going to be somewhere in the middle. That uh, Our world is a very unforgiving place. We'll put people on a pedestal, but as soon as they fail, we pounce on them. We destroy them. We love to see the great ones fall and kind of you know grovel in their misery because we never got to have their privilege, so now we are happy to see their punishment. That's not right. I mean, that's that's not going to be good for the heart, but uh, at the same time, when people get off scot-free because they know the right people and they grease their palms and everything is, uh, you know, goes so well swimmingly for them. But uh, so I've been watching, there's a BBC series on uh, Victor Hugo's Les Miserables, which is um, a six-part It's fantastic. And you can see one of the principal characters, Javert, he is, it's excessive justice. It's a justice that's blind to human beings. I mean, it's just like, you know, that... It's a disordered justice, and you can see how it comes out in ways that are not helpful. Mm, now, yeah. there's a, on a human level, maybe a disordered mercy that it just, you know, we, uh, uh, for our friends, that we always turn a blind eye. And I would suppose that, you know, if uh, parents are listening, sometimes we feel like maybe we've been too easy on our kids. It's really hard, you know, and none of us get it perfect. Pope John Paul II, who's uh, a saint now, and maybe someday it'd be dubbed a great pope, so to speak, he wondered, you know, had he been strict enough, had he been a, enough of a disciplinarian as a Holy Father uh, for some of the cases that crossed his desk? Well, I think that uh, we're going to fall short, but you can look anywhere. The Catechism, the, the, the Scriptures, especially in the Old Testament, and then in Jesus, who didn't come to abolish the law but to fulfill it. He didn't come to throw it out, but to say that the justice that you think you understand is far deeper and more difficult for the human heart and so we see in Christ, the, well, we see the Father, and uh, we see him on the cross, Father, forgive them. They know now what they do. <laughs> and so what we deserve, in a way, is, is death, you know, forever. But he came to save his people and to take upon himself what we deserved so that someday we could see him as he is and be like him for all the ages. And, of course, he is merciful and just and and uh, and a perfect blend of these things that for us right. it's still uh, very difficult to understand. Well, you know, you brought up the example of Javert from the story of Les Miserables and in that, you know, he is so determined in seeking out what he sees as pure earned justice against Jean Valjean. And I think that's such a great example there because he 
you know, you talk about that perfect blend of justice and mercy that we see in God and his attitude towards us. Javert, on the other hand, he doesn't believe anybody can change. He thinks that a criminal will always be a criminal. And when he's finally confronted with the fact that that what he has lived his whole life based upon, this ideology, when he finds out it's not true, he can't reconcile it. He can't live with himself, and it drives him to his end, ultimately, there. Uh, you know, that, that idea that, um, that justice and mercy go hand in hand with God, I, I remember reading at one point, I forget who said it, but basically— we have to welcome the justice of God. We have to admit our own guilt and welcome God's justice towards that guilt, because otherwise, if we're not guilty, there's no ability to then say, I need mercy, and to be able to receive mercy in our lives. There are different forms of healing, you know, and uh, like Cardinal Newman said, to live is to change, to be perfect is to have changed often. Well, some people are seem determined not to change, so uh, justice comes as a, a maybe a more staunch form of medicine. Uh, we put people in prison. We uh, give them some sort of a, a punishment that you know really kind of is meant to encourage them to have a conversion, to turn back and to say, "Where did I go wrong? What have I done? I need to take responsibility. I need to have a certain amount of contrition." Sometimes people, you know, maybe only in the next life will come to their senses. I don't know. We can't. Um, we can't see how all these things are arranged by divine providence, but we know that God, uh, you know, sometimes we, um, I saw something recently about, you know, before justice comes truth, it was always a matter of the truth, and God has to, you know, Jesus said, you will know the truth and it will set you free. But not to live in the truth, well then, a just God has to help and has to maybe take some strong means to get that person to live in the truth. I mean, Pontius Pilate says, what is truth? And he kind of, you know, seems to, dismiss it rather, uh, dismiss it flippantly. But in fact, you know, it's the whole core of what Jesus, it's not an idea, it's a person. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So if you're going to live forever in heaven, then you're going to have to wrestle with the truth. If we put justice before the truth, then we get into all sorts of uh, messes about, you know, then it becomes a man-made thing, and it uh, we can be very blind, and we see lots of these things today of um, the just foolishness. I mean, if we could just be closer to God, we'd have a greater sense of the truth of who we are, made in his image and likeness. And in the justice stuff, we'd start to maybe have a bit more of a chance to, to get that right. Not always because we're human. We're going to make a mess, and God seems to enjoy cleaning up messes. We keep him gainfully employed. But uh, even so, I mean, the truth comes before justice. But uh, this, this, I mean, Victor Hugo, who had you know, lots of struggles, and who knows, he's in God's hands now. But... Um, that he could get so much right about, uh, you know, we have obsessed about one or the other, but it, it's always both. You know, the devil loves the either-or thing. He likes division. He likes, you know, turning good things against each other, like they're in opposition. But God is a both-and. So that's what the incarnation is, is that he unites heaven and earth. He takes on our broken nature and unites it to his perfect nature. And so he, because everything he created was good, now it was damaged by original sin, so it's still good, but damaged, wounded, not destroyed, but, you know, reconciled, rehabilitated by grace. So even justice, our human sense of it, we have to remember, is, is damaged. We don't get it all right. We do our best, or at least we should do our best, but sometimes, um, you know, we have these blind spots. So that's our, in the end, justice is really right relationship. 
And if we had a, a closer relationship with the Lord, the justice would be more, um, you know, uh, infallible, so to speak. We'd get it right more often. But in a country, in a world that sometimes drifts from God, then there are going to be these uh, gaps in our justice. We're going to make terrible mistakes and conclusions about things that we could have done a better job, but we didn't want God's help. No, I I see, Lord. I, and he says, well, you're blind. If you admitted you're blind, that would be fine, but you claim you see, and that's the problem. Okay, yep, that hasn't really changed. Talking with Father Sam Martin today here on The Inner Life. He is the pastor of Holy Name of Jesus Parish in Wausau, Wisconsin, and talking about that virtue of justice. How do we live that out? What does that mean? What does that look like for us as Christians? How about you? How do you try and live out justice in your life? How has understanding God's justice helped you to better understand and appreciate God's mercy towards you? And how has that maybe made you a more merciful person toward others? We'd love to invite you into the conversation. Maybe you have a question about justice and you'd like to speak with Father Martin. The phone number into the studio here is 888-914-9149, Father, before we go to our first break here, let's talk about what the Catechism of the Catholic Church says regarding justice. It it talks about it saying, um, this is in paragraph 1801, It says, justice is the moral virtue that consists in the constant and firm will to give their due to God and neighbor. That idea that justice is directed towards two different ends. We have justice due to God, justice due to our fellow human. Maybe we can start off with, can you explain the justice that we owe to God? We've been talking a lot about God's justice towards us. What's the justice that we owe to God? Yeah, it's in the preface, every preface of the Mass. It is right and just, always and everywhere, to give you, you know, basically the praise, adoration, the worship that God deserves, that we owe Him because He made us. We belong to Him, and so in gratitude, we should praise Him and thank Him every day. We forget this, and then things go downhill from there. But uh, in a world that's obsessed with rights, what's due to me, justice really is to, the first step is what is due to others. Uh, otherwise, we there's always going to be a conflation of our ego, that it's just about me and what I get, and if I'm wronged, then I'm going to be really upset. And, uh, you know, you see this all over the place, that uh, my body, my, my right to do whatever I want, and, well, it is your body, but it's on loan. Who gave it to you and for what end? Uh, it's really a gift that is meant to serve others. That's our Lord. He came not to be served, but to serve. So justice is revealed in worship, and that's where... Once again, a, a country, a, a people that drifts from God is going to struggle more and more with justice because our, we're flawed creatures. So that's just a, the fact of the matter. And, and so then we start to say crazy things. You know, that love is love. Well, no, God is love. And so there's a very objective person. And if we get to know that person in spirit and in truth, <clears throat> then we'll become more aware of love. And then, of course, that is a motivator for justice, to give people what they're due. And that is, of course, revealed in Christ. <clears throat> who came not, uh, you know, for the, the healthy people or those who are self-righteous, but for people who are sick. And so the Lord shows a preferential love for those who are marginalized, for those who we might not think they owe, we don't owe them anything. You know, that um, now, of course, people could be sitting there and we have an entitlement uh, complex, too. So, uh, that you know, you're a Christian, so you owe me everything. Well, St. <laughs> Paul kind of blows that up, that he who would not work, should not eat. So everybody can do something. We all have something we can contribute, minimally our suffering. 
uh, and our worship, that we can you know, put God first in the way we pray, the way we spend our time, the m- maybe meager resources that we have, the way that uh, we use our heart. Uh, if God is really enshrined there, if we love him first and foremost, or someone else's usurped what properly belongs to him. So putting God first, uh, that, that orders justice, it regulates it, it purifies it. Otherwise, uh, it can be very skewed toward you know me and what I want, and uh, that starts uh, a slippery slope that ends in disaster for lots of people, myself included. Right, right. We're we're all very, very <laughs> close to being able to step over that edge if we don't have things ordered correctly, if we don't have the priorities in that right order. Again, talking with Father Sam Martin about justice today and inviting you into the conversation. If you have a question, you're welcome to call in and speak with Father Martin, 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149, our email address, relevantradio.com. Father, we talked about the justice that we owe to God. Let's, when we come back, talk about the justice that we owe to our fellow human, our neighbor. Again, you're listening to The Inner Life. We'll be back in just a moment here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Looking for a new job? How about one that offers you opportunities for spiritual, social, and charitable growth? Our sponsor, the Catholic Order of Foresters, is hiring new agents today. Visit relevantradio.com slash forester, an Illinois life insurance society not available in all states. Back to the inner life here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Hi, I'm Josh Raymond, and I'm so glad to have you along for this Monday edition of the Inner Life. As today, I'm talking with Father Sam Martin. He is the pastor of Holy Name of Jesus Parish in Wausau, Wisconsin. Today, talking about the virtue of justice, what that looks like in the life of a Christian, how we live that out, how we understand what justice really is, and how have you lived out that virtue of justice in your life? How has understanding God's justice also allowed you to understand God's mercy and then to bring that justice and that mercy to other people that you encounter in your life? We'd love to hear how that has occurred, how you've lived that out. 888-914-9149-888-914-9149. You can also call in with any questions that you have about this virtue, one of the cardinal virtues. Again, the phone number, 888-914-9149. So, Father, right before the break, talked about the, the catechism, and it says that justice is directed to two main ends. One, justice due to God, which you you elaborated and, and brought out for us before the break. Now we come to the second part of that. There is the justice towards other people. And in the Catechism, that same paragraph, 1807, it says, the just man, often mentioned in sacred scriptures, is distinguished by habitual right thinking and the uprightness of his conduct toward his neighbor. Looking at that brief sentence there in that paragraph, how do you think we can start, we can make that right thinking that it talks about habitual in our lives? Well, it's all things, 
you know, that Christ, the Alpha and the Omega, so he'll help us, of course. So I think we always want to begin each day, you know, maybe kneel by the bed and ask for our daily bread. Ask, you know, Lord, guard my heart. Help me to be responsive, charitable, to be present to people, listen to them, uh, show a smile. And all these little things that help a person to become a saint, uh, St. Therese, that was her little way. I mean, she said whether or not she loved God, she said, I don't know, I do my best, but whether or not I love my neighbor, well, <laughs> that confronts me all day, every day, that how do I treat these women with whom I live in this you know, monastery for the rest of our lives? That's not uh, easy by any stretch, and yet, you know, she was so charitable that some people that didn't know, uh, she found them difficult to treat with charity. They never suspected that, that she... Um, wasn't a good actress. It came from the core of her being. So uh, the way we treat our neighbor is a, a good lit, lit, litmus test. And it, I mean, if we're honest, we run into people that are difficult. They're, you know, uh, rather burdensome. They have all sorts of idiosyncrasies that might push our buttons. And it just shows that, I mean, sometimes we meet people and we think, I should have prayed more this morning because this is not probably going to go well. And uh, But that's an invitation. It's an opportunity. Uh, we saw a movie about this Italian doctor, St. Giuseppe Muscati, and uh, the doctor of the poor in Naples. He died in 1927, canonized by uh, Pope John Paul, I think, 1987. Anyway, he uh, he said something very beautiful, that, that in the end, charity would be uh, always the more influential. It would always uh, triumph over science. And as a scientist, as a doctor, he could see the impact of his life. But he never lost his heart. Uh, he didn't, you know, see his life as a job, but a vocation, a calling, a mission to treat body and soul, to treat each person as if it were Christ. And he did that in such a remarkable way. The movie is compelling. Ignatius Press puts it out, and it's all in Italian with subtitles, but worth the effort. I mean, it really, uh, if you want to see what love of neighbor looks like, especially he had some people that uh, were not kind, they were not good to him, but he never reciprocated that, uh, like Christ. He was also very forgiving, and that's the highest form of love. And it's even um, sometimes, you know, that, well, this person doesn't deserve this. Yeah, and that's what the Lord said, that, Father, forgive them. They don't know. Uh, he pleads our cause. He's able to say that they don't know, not yet. Someday they will. They'll finally look back and see the gift that he was offering. And there'll be a sadness, and maybe some people will spend time in purgatory because of that sadness. They just never knew what the Lord had, you know, offered them, and they feel so discouraged by it. Well, you can't take that to heaven, so maybe there's a place in purgatory to, to let go of that, that all the times I could have and I didn't. And I knew better, and I, I refused. And now I see, Lord, and that makes me sad. We know that Judas went away, you know, I mean, in despair. He was certainly sorry, but in a way that he wasn't ready for heaven, not in that state of mind, and so he ends up taking his life. And that doesn't mean that he's lost forever. We'll never know that this side of eternity. But it's clear that there's a brokenness that comes because, uh, you know, he's, he's recognized the goodness of the Lord. So if we get close enough to the Lord, we'll learn to love his people better. I mean, I'll end with this, uh, Josh, is that I think Mother Teresa used to kind of chastise priests a little bit. She was a straight shooter, and she'd say, well, Father, well, describe your prayer life. Well, I pray the bravery, offer Mass once a day. Anything else? No, that's it. I mean, that's all I'm obligated to do. And she'd kind of give him the berries and say, Father, there's no way you can love all those people without more help from Jesus. You think you're going to do that on your own? No, it's impossible. Spoken by a woman who knew 
if we receive, we have something to give. So if we're struggling to love our neighbor, and, and you know there are some tough neighbors to love, well, that's an invitation, not an obstacle, but an opportunity to say, here's how people become heroic. And they were surrounded with people that were really difficult to love, and they decided to ask God to help them. And he did, and he will. He won't refuse us uh, anything in that regard. You bring up uh, St. Mother Teresa and somebody who lived out those corporal works of mercy. And maybe we can talk about those works themselves in a moment here. But, uh, you know, when we talk about living out that justice through love to our neighbor, there's that uh, parable that Jesus gives the sheep and the goats, and that's kind of that, uh, what Mother Teresa talked about, that five-finger gospel, you know, whatever you did for the least of these, you did it to me. And when we are helping someone in need, when we are trying to see them and say, okay, they are lacking something, and out of justice, we want to make sure that we give them what justice demands. You know, Jesus says we're doing that to him. So in being just, in living out justice to our neighbor, we ultimately are going back to that first justice that we talked about, that the the catechism points out, you know, justice due to God. Well, that's always, you know, the the connection, love of God, love of neighbor. So in the, the Lord makes it clear, and this is uh, something that only prayer can kind of convert our heart to be able to get to see Jesus in the people that he created. Now, Mother Teresa makes it clear that Christ in distressing disguise, sometimes he's hidden and it's so deep that only you know the most intimate friends of our Lord could see him in there because uh, some people make that very difficult. But uh, even so, I mean, it's, that's the invitation. And, you know, sometimes if we are merely uh, just to give people their due, well, <laughs> my daddy thought some people need a, a little bit of a kick in the pants. That's what we owe them because they need to get motivated. They need to have somebody to kind of, you know, love them enough to say you're, you're, you're destined for greater than this. I mean, your life has a, a much more divine purpose than what you're just living way beneath what you're called to be. And that's love, too. It's, uh, you know, the uh, kind of the, you know, parental love, the, you know, well, I mean, that's, it's a form that doesn't always come so easily and, and we don't even know if we're the one to give it. That's where prayer and discernment. Uh, but if we don't have someone that gives us that call to, you know, come to Jesus' speech, uh, we don't want to squander our, our potential either. And so many times people live far be beneath their, voca- their vocation, their potential, and that's a form of, um, you know, tough love, I guess they call it. And, uh, and it's tough to receive it. It's also tough to give it. And am I the right person? That's something that we... Many times people are like, am I supposed to say something when, you know, people live in a state of sin and they're just uh, heading in the wrong direction? That's something that is a discernment. We should pray, Lord, if you want me to say something, uh, you're going to please give the circumstances and the words. But if not, and if it's our own family, oftentimes those are speeches we're not supposed to give. I give a lot of speeches when I'm getting ready in the morning. I just, you know, something <laughs> cranks me up. and then I, But it never, then I tell the Lord, well, maybe that's just me. And But if you want me to say something, well, you know, you make the arrangements. We want to be ready to do God's will because sometimes he'll want us to, to challenge and to speak uh, truth to power, you know, so to speak, and say that that's wrong what you're doing. It doesn't matter, you know, how prestigious and how important you think you are, but you're violating charity, you're violating God's law. 
and uh, have a duty. So John the Baptist does this. He calls out Herod, who's living with someone who's not his wife. And, well, that still happens today. But, you know, we need to, to speak those words of truth with love if we're the one to speak it. And, of course, in the case of John the Baptist, the Lord put that on his heart. And he was a man that uh, was very responsive to, to Jesus, even accepting death in an untimely way. So we, we do well to, to remember that, um, you know, uh, talk is cheap. You know, it's easy to, in a way, to put on a show, so to speak, in the, in the church for an hour, but then to step outside and that's where our, our charity ends. And there's no, I mean, whatever the justice that God is teaching us, it needs to be lived. And that's what you know, Relevant Radio was always that was the claim that, uh, you know, bridging the gap between our faith and our everyday life. Well, that's the challenge of from our baptism on until eternity. And it's uh, some days go better than others. Uh, Father, you know, as you're talking about living out justice, you've said several times that it comes from active Christian charity, that we do things in love or through love. What's the danger for us if we look at this as merely something to live out systematically? You know, if, if we're just trying to do it for the sake of doing it because we, we know it's right, but we're doing it absent of love. Well, there are many examples of this, and, and now we live in, you know, difficult times, too, where, you know, just this week with the pro-life you know, the recognition that Roe versus Wade is cooked, but the devil's not happy about that, so there are going to be all these other things. That this is going to go on until the end of the world, assaults on the dignity of human life. You know, in Canada, you've got euthanasia, so if you're not productive or if you just don't want to live anymore, they'll put you out of your misery, which is a terrible usurpation of, of God's divine right to give life and to sustain it. He's the author of it. It's his gift. And we do the same with marriage, that we're going to have it on our terms. That, that, that's his gift. I mean, I know that when we fall away from God, uh, we're just going to think that, well, we are the arbiters of whatever. But that's a blindness, and it's not a new one. It's been around for many, many centuries since original sin. And I'm convinced it will be here until the end of time. But we can get so upset, discouraged. If we don't pray enough, we're going to lose charity. And I know that people get up on there, and, and they speak the truth a lot of times, but there's no love in it. And the Lord, he's got to constantly draw uh, people into his way of, you know, so Peter pulls the sword out, chops the guy's ear off, because... He's defending Jesus, and there's something very good about that. I mean, this guy just slaps Jesus, and they're arresting him, and he's done nothing. They trump up some charge about, you know, uh, treason or whatever. I mean, it blasphemy. They just make all this stuff up. Finally, Jesus gives them what they want. He says, I am God. In fact, it was true. And uh, so for his trouble of speaking the truth, he dies. But he's willing to do that. He knows it is necessary. And he said, it's going to happen to my followers, too. But when we are, distance ourselves from the Lord, then we're not going to want to suffer. And then that suffering gets wasted, and it's not redemptive anymore. It's just a source of anger. And I'm, and, and in a way, there's, it's true that this isn't right. That's not just. These people should pay for it. Yes, it's true, and they will. I mean, everyone's, no one gets off scot-free. I mean, like the guy from Enron that you mentioned at the beginning, that like he died before he had to go to jail. Well, in a way, it's too bad. I mean, I, I'd rather pay now and play later. I mean, everyone's going to have to deal with the life they live. The Lord, you know, if people don't exist, Believe in God, it doesn't matter, because he, he exists. That's, you know, incontrovertible. We wouldn't be here if he didn't. And he'll sort these things out, and it won't be an easy job, but he's the right one to do it, because he's just. Everyone is going to, you know, that's not going to just be some criminal in heaven that, you know, winks because he has found the loophole. No, 
everyone in heaven has been sanctified, purified. They've dealt with their past, and they were saved by God, washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. No one's going to be there that we're going to look at and say, you? That's, that's not going to happen, because God is just. But we are going to be surprised, I suppose, because of his mercy, that how did you do that, Lord? I mean, this person down there was not like this. No, and here's why. Because they were abused, because something happened to them, because they responded in the wrong way, and they did something that they always regretted, but they, they never showed. Well, anyway, the Lord can see all this, and he can rehabilitate all of it. So when people get on their um, high horse and soapbox and everything else, and there have been many of them, and uh, if I don't pray enough, it'll be me next. You know, I'll be like, I'm sick and tired. I'm not taking this anymore. We're going to start blowing stuff up. And the Lord's like, whoa. I mean, how often do we get Psalm, or it's uh, Isaiah 42, that a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench. Uh, he's, a, he's a powerful, indomitable God who is actually very gentle. St. Francis de Sales that was his favorite fruit of the Holy Spirit. And this guy had a, a short fuse, but by God's grace and his prayer life, his cooperation, he was a gentle saint. But it was a velvet hammer, uh, all hammer underneath, but I guess fairly uh, covered with velvet on the outside. So, Josh, I think that's the goal for us. But when we're around the injustices of our world all the time, we get discouraged. And then we become reactionaries and not visionaries. Right, right. The Lord, he wants to help us with that. And God knows we need the help. Otherwise, we'd never smile. We'd just be angry, and we're going to fix this once and for all. And boy, that uh, that rightfully makes a, should make us nervous because that means we've lost charity. And without that, it uh, only God can can intervene in a way that convinces. Talking with Father Sam Martin today here on The Inner Life about the virtue of justice, how we live that out in our lives, what that looks like in the life of a Christian, and how have you lived out justice in your life, especially living it out with love, with that charity that Father Martin is talking about. How has being a person who lives out justice also allowed you to experience God's mercy in your life and then, of course, to be merciful towards others that you encounter? Our phone number here to call into the studio and share your story, 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. And our email address is innerlifeatrelevantradio.com. Our conversation continues in just a moment here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. This hour is sponsored by St. Gregory Recovery Center, helping you or a loved one live a substance-free life. Information at relevantradio.com slash Gregory. That's relevantradio.com slash Gregory. Welcome back to The Inner Life on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. I'm Josh Raymond. Thank you for listening. Thank you also to Nick Sentovich. He's my producer here for the program. Thomas Engesser is helping to screen calls today. And, of course, if you'd like to call in, our phone number is 888-914-9149. As we talk with Father Sam Martin about the virtue of justice here on The Inner Life, again, the phone number 888-914-9149. And before we continue our conversation, want to invite you to participate in something we've done for a number of years now here um, in the about the third week of January is where it usually falls. So... 
coming up this Friday, it's going to be the first National March for Life ever since the overturning of Roe v. Wade. And in celebration of this victory and the continued efforts to protect human life in every state, we want to invite you, even if you're unable to attend in person the March for Life in Washington, D.C., you can participate where you are virtually with Fasting for Life. We have done this, like I say, for several years now. And so this Friday, if you join in, you can be an active part at your home, in your office, by praying by fasting, uniting your prayers with the pilgrims that are marching, both in our nation's capital and, of course, now that Roe v. Wade is overturned, especially in the local events that will be taking place at state capitol buildings in other cities across the country, those local marches and rallies for life. But again, you can be part of this with Fast for Life, and you can find out more about it any social media platform. If you just enter hashtag Fast for Life, you'll see it there. And you can sign up today and let us know how you'll be participating, relevantradio.com slash fast. And we've already heard from a number of people who said we're going to be doing this as well. Rose uh, from Philadelphia, I thought this was great. She said, I'm nursing my newborn. I can't fast with food, but I'll fast from social media and from TV. Uh, Heard from Nick. He's listening in California, and he said, I'm going to be fasting via traditional means. I'm only going to drink water throughout the day, and I'm going to attend daily Mass. You can join with thousands of others fasting for the end of abortion here in our country. Again, go to relevantradio.com slash fast. Father Martin, as we continue our conversation discussing justice, you know, you had mentioned— there is, you know, people kind of speaking truth without love. And maybe we can also talk about how we guard ourselves against justice becoming something that is merely political. You know, there's uh, not even looking at the life issue. There's this movement in our, our current culture where we see people that'll speak out against those who are extremely wealthy in our country, you know, that everybody should um, have a certain amount of money. And on on the surface, yes, that is absolutely true, and that's what you said even before the break. People will speak things that are true, but they'll do it without love. And I'm not looking to make this a political, you know, conversation. But my point is that justice goes beyond political ideology. Yet we can find ourselves with so many moral issues. Once it begins to be debated in that political arena, we can find it might be easy to forget that those issues, they do transcend politics. Yeah, we live in the world. We're not of the world. So the Lord is clear about, you know, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. And he talks about the tax. And do we have to pay the tax? Well, in a way, it seems like he implies that we're not really of this world, but we'll do it because there's a certain, you know, justice to, you know, being here and the the money can be used for, you know, sometimes good purposes. We're not so sure in many cases, and sometimes for very nefarious purposes. But, you know, what uh, is clear is that in the world, not of the world, we're called to holiness, and that means being set apart. So we we want to, you know, sanctify the world by the life that we're living. We want to be a conduit of grace. But at the same time, what gives us perspective is that we're just, here we have no lasting city. We're just passing through. We're only here for a little while. There's a lot of good we can do, but we're not going to save. I mean, people get all crazy about, like, we've got to save the planet for who? I mean, this is God's gift to us. We're living here. We could be better stewards of it, but when people get all excited, we just, the devil loves to take things out of context. Uh, 
he likes to turn it just a little bit. So it started off as an ideal and it right intention and so forth, but now all of a sudden it's it's really about me and my relentless ego. That where did that come from? Well, it's always around, and so it always needs to be uh, tempered by grace, by uh, the sacraments. This is uh, always going to be a struggle for our world. Is that if you're not living a good life in the way Jesus taught us, you're going to have blind spots. And even those who are living a good life are still going to have blind spots, but maybe they're not so uh, so noticeable at at least not on a macro level. So uh, you know it. it we can't help for things to become political because we live in the world and we have a, a duty to kind of, you know, how do we govern ourselves? How do we look out for people who are marginalized? How do we decide, you know, who to protect and who's just going to be, you know, uh, left out to the, the you know, uh, merciless breeze that is blowing where it blows where it will. So uh, there are just a lot of things that inevitably become political. But as long as it's, we remember we're citizens of heaven, that's where our, you know, our identity comes from there, that, we were always meant to live with God, and he came into our world, but to lead us to his, that his kingdom is not of this world. And he makes it clear that if it were, you know, his father would send a legion of angels. But as it is, it doesn't mean he's not a king, that he doesn't have absolute power, that he doesn't know what he's doing. He knows all those things. But he helps us now to, we're pilgrims. We're, we have a destination, and uh, we can whistle while we work. We kind of have a sense of what we can do and what we can't do. Uh, we work at it, but not with a sort of urgency that if I don't get this done by the end of my life, then it'll be in vain. No. I mean, we're going to leave a lot of the same messes that we discovered when we got here. But like St. Giuseppe Muscati and many others discovered, the good that charity is, and charity is about relationship with people, persons in God's image and likeness. Things, uh, that stuff doesn't matter much. But And that's where sometimes justice gets concerned about, you know, somebody dies and it's all about the will and who gets what and mm, yeah. who cares? I mean, this is a mortal soul that died and let's pray that he or she is entering God's kingdom now. Let's pray that when we come to the end of our life that the things, who cares? It's all going to be, you know, consumed by moths or rust or whatever, but uh, we do get concerned about those things and some people get things that they don't deserve. Ah, eh, well, the Lord will sort it all out. I guess better to suffer and to do it with nobility than, you know, to choose a path where there's no suffering. I mean, Pope Benedict, that was one of his quotes, that those who uh, search for comfort have dialed the wrong number. I mean, if that's all you want to do is just have an easy life, well, then how can you become holy? How can you become heroic? You know, you've got to have some hardship. You don't even have to look for it, actually, Josh. It seems to find us, especially if you're going to follow the Lord. I mean, yeah. you've got that all just factored in, you know, that does they treat the teacher. So... The student is the master, so the disciple. Yeah. Well, if life is too easy <laughs> and you're saying you're following Jesus, then it's not that God isn't good to us, but yeah, there's always going to be that suffering. And God wants us to be, you know, not to have that attachment to things of this world, not to be attached to our possessions, uh, to material things. And, and, you know, when we talk about justice in regards to our neighbor, You've talked about you know different examples of people who lived this out, the, that charitable action. It's easy to get our sights, though, only set on the physical or the material needs of those that we encounter. But can you also maybe here in our last few minutes talk about the importance of the spiritual needs of our neighbor, our fellow human? You know, if, if we know Christ, if we have that relationship with him— and when we're helping somebody else, we have an opportunity to introduce that other person to Jesus, but we let that opportunity pass by, then that's also an injustice that is done to that person. 
and that'll come from you know a heart that is converted. So it, sometimes people worry about evangelizing. I can't talk about Jesus. I mean, I can you know I know him and I I know that he loves me. But to say something to somebody, I could never do that. Well, it'll just come out as God wants it to. I mean, our task is to really grow close to him and spend time with him and let him change our heart and give us uh, the fortitude, the courage of if, if we're supposed to say a good word or to speak up for something that is being misrepresented, uh, that'll just happen on its own. I think uh, we, are, you know, Jesus said, you come to me, you follow me, and I'll take care of those other things. Uh, so we do have a, I mean, so many people are starving for love, and love is not a human enterprise, it's a divine one. So spend time with the, the author of love, who can't be compromised. We can, but if we get closer to him, he'll heal that and help that to grow. And pretty soon there's a kind of a natural charity. And this is something that the saints discovered is that, you know, it's no longer I live, but Christ lives in me. And devotion to Mary and uh, recourse to the Holy Spirit. And as St. Louis de Montfort would say, you know, that the Holy Spirit recognizes Mary in a soul. So people that pray the rosary every day, that's an act of charity for our neighbor because the Holy Spirit is forming your soul to be more like Christ. So just pray. That's also an act of justice uh, to, to God and to neighbor. I mean, the, sometimes people say, well, if you spent less time praying, you could do more good for people. Not true. Not true. I mean, give God your first, your best, and it comes back a hundredfold. I mean, things that you'd never be able to claim you did on your own, but God did it. Mother Teresa was asked, how'd you help one? 40,000 people. She said, I helped one. God did the rest. And she spent a lot of time with the Lord, and he magnified what she did. And that's the beautiful prayer that the Church prays every evening, that my soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. And so it's pointing to God, even, you know, especially the best person that ever lived, human person, is Mary. And she'd say that he did it for me. And he did. And we're all better for it. And we can imitate that. And so those spiritual works of mercy... Uh, you know, they come from a heart that is converted to Jesus, and he just kind of takes it from there. Mm. Uh, Father Martin, always good to have you on the program. We're down to our last, uh, oh, about 45 seconds here. Could I ask you to offer a blessing for our listeners? May Almighty God bless, guide, protect each of you today and every day. May you have a deep trust in the Lord and his providence. May God bless you now and always, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. All right. Always good, like I say, Father, to be able to talk with you here on the program. Thanks for your insights today. If you are listening and joined late, I would encourage you to go back and get the entire hour of this episode. The podcast will be posted here in just a little bit on our website, relevantradio.com, or on the Relevant Radio app. And while you're at our website, Go to relevantradio.com slash fast and see how you can help others who are standing in solidarity for the support of life. You can be a part of that when you fast for life coming up this Friday. Uh, If you're able to go to maybe a local March for Life or a Rally for Life in your area, wonderful. If you're not, then again, participate by fasting for life. Hashtag Fast for Life. You can find that at relevantradio.com slash fast. Stay tuned. Mass starts right now on Relevant Radio.